0: Benny. And I'm Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher.
1: The podcast where I watch Doctor Who and I tell you about it. Hey
0: Kyle. Uh, hey Benny. How's it going today? Um it's it's going all right. I, uh, it's really warm outside and Kyle lives up a hill so I'm kind of hot and sweaty right now because um, I just got here. <laughs> True. I think it's not
1: quite Late enough in the afternoon that the house is super hot yet, though. It's just no, it's,
0: pretty warm, and it'll be super hot in a couple hours. It's fairly nice in here. It's nicer, except for I'm still gross and sweaty. <laughs> um, cool. But yeah, this is the, the second night in a row that we're recording The Doctor's Watcher, so Indeed. I've been very much kind of in the Doctor Who mode in my brain. Doing a a bit of a Doctor's Watcher binge at the moment. Yes.
1: And that's cool and good since we're actually in a fun and exciting serial this time. Yes. (laughs) I was just telling Benny last night that our previous episodes, I was excited to record because we were starting a new podcast together and that's exciting (laughs) in and of itself. But now, like, these current episodes, I'm excited to record because we're actually talking about some
0: good Doctor Who. I feel like you shouldn't get too attached to the idea that, uh, or you shouldn't associate get being excited about recording the podcast with just the good episodes, though. Because <laughs> I feel like sooner or later we're going to kind of run out of the good episodes and get back into the bad episodes, at least for a bit. And That's probably true. <laughs> you're probably going to be like, oh, crap. <laughs>
1: So yeah, I guess we should we should relish the good ones while we have them.
0: That's true. That's <laughs> a that's a life skill. Yeah. Cool. With that, should we get into it? Yeah. So um, before we get into this this episode, I was thinking about the last one with the um, well, I guess the last two, because we know that somebody left the um, box of. Serum of um, radiation cure right. outside of the Tardis. Well, I hope is radiation cure. <laughs> yeah, at this point, we don't actually know yet. <laughs> um, but we're also like we know that it wasn't the Daleks um, because the Daleks want it, and because the Daleks, you know, we're we're saying basically that the Thals are the ones who have the the cure to the radiation sickness. Right. So we assume that it was the Thals who left it outside the the Tardis. But everyone is still like really worried about the Thals, you know. As Susan was running through the uh, the forest, she was worried that a horrible mutant Thal was going to grab her and want to hurt her or whatever. But I think at this point we can kind of conclude that the Thals have good intentions. That seems to be the case.
1: I mean, the the hand that tentatively reached for Susan yeah. a few and it episodes was, ago. It was tentative. It was. <laughs> and as soon as she screamed, it withdrew. Like, it didn't want to freak her out too much. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it seems that this metal canister that we hope is anti-radiation drugs <laughs> probably was left by the Thals. Yeah. And, you know, if it is radiation, anti-radiation drugs, then I guess that would indicate that That they're friendly, that they want to help our heroes out,
0: or, you know, at least protect them from this horrible dead planet that they're on. So, you know, there you go, listeners. Just because someone is a disgusting mutant, and, you know, horribly mutated, doesn't make them a bad person. (laughs) So, if we uh, ever find ourselves in a post-nuclear wasteland, which looks like... It might happen, you never know. Um, that's just a, a lesson to remember. And also remember if we're all horribly irradiated following uh, an apocalyptic nuclear war, the hideous mutant may be you. <laughs>
1: it's been a little while since I've played a Fallout game, but I definitely remember meeting some friendly mutants.
0: <laughs> One of them was Worf. <laughs>
1: So, season one, episode seven, the escape. Yes. As usual, starts off with the last few moments of our previous episode. Do you remember what that was, Benny?
0: Um. Yeah. It was Susan in the forest. She. See- oh no! 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 Oh, okay, hold on. Let me try that again. I'm gonna make it sound <laughs> like I knew what the answer was. Yes, it's uh, Susan in the TARDIS, and the door is open, and lightning flashes, and um, something it seems like she sees something creepy out the door, but we don't know what it is. Indeed, and unlike a few previous
1: episodes, this episode actually starts by continuing that scene rather than cutting to something else. Cool. Susan leaves the TARDIS as this thunderstorm is happening, and she is immediately scared by a man standing there oh, outside yeah. the TARDIS who tells her not to be afraid. And is he hideously mutated? Um actually he's he's pretty attractive looking. Okay. He's uh fairly tall, he's got like short blonde hair, he's you know, got kind of a, a square jawed face. He's pretty handsome. Okay, cool. He's got this great cape on. It's made out of, like, these panels that are, like, reflective hexagons. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Susan is surprised to see that he's not a hideously mutated monster. (laughs) Is she she disappointed? uh, In in her words, he's perfect.
0: Oh, wow, okay. (laughs) I'm guessing she's not
1: disappointed. He reveals that he actually tried to speak to her in the forest the day before. But she seemed frightened, so it turns out he was the tentatively reaching hand, and he apologizes
0: for frightening her and says he was very clumsy. So, okay, so when she says he's perfect, how does that come up in conversation? (laughs) Uh, That is a good question. Let me pull up the script real quick here. Because usually just because you see someone who's, like, super hot, you don't just, like, immediately blurt out. (laughs) So her actual line,
1: he says, he says, "Don't be afraid," and she says,
2: "What they said you? What they called you? You're not. You're perfect."
0: Ah, <laughs> wow, Susan, uh, that's a uh, that's some game you got there. <laughs> it turns out that.
1: The metal canister was left by him and his people, the Thals. Further turns out that they are anti-radiation drugs. And further, further turns out that this Thal that's talking to Susan is shocked that they haven't taken them yet. (laughs) And he says they must.
0: What do you want, an instruction manual? (laughs) Illustrated pictures?
1: (laughs) She tells him that they're prisoners in the city, and it turns out that he and the Thals don't know about the Daleks having survived. Oh, whoa. They thought this was, like, a dead, empty city. Susan tells him that, you know, they don't actually live in the city. They live, like, way underneath the city underground, and that they had sent her back to get the drugs. The Thal doesn't understand why the Daleks would want the drugs, and Susan doesn't know either. If he hasn't, if he doesn't have a name, we should just call him Tholiver. <laughs> uh, we we will use that name for a moment, but he does introduce his <laughs> name shortly. <laughs> so Tholiver doesn't understand why the Deluxe would want these drugs. Susan doesn't know either. She just says that she knows that she has to get them back to her grandfather and her friends who are very sick and who need them. And and Tholiver. Says, are you sure the dogs want the drugs for your friends and not for themselves? <laughs> mm-hmm. And Susan is like...
2: I hadn't thought of that.
1: And he says... Do you trust them? And Susan says...
2: No. Well, I'm not sure.
1: And so he gives her an additional canister of drugs to hide on her person, basically. Oh, cool. And asks... If she trusts him, which she does, because he's hot, right? And and here's where we learn his name. It's unfortunately not Thaliver. Oh. It's Aladdin. Okay. Which you know, it's pretty good. Yeah. He he is a Thal. I think that's you know officially confirmed at this point. He tells her he's Aladdin of the Thal race, and he offers to escort her back through the forest, which she accepts. So.
0: Yeah, I I watched Disney's Aladdin, slightly different spelling, <laughs> many times as a child. And I do remember the scene where he's on the magic carpet and he holds out his hand to Jasmine and he says, Do you trust me? <laughs> Clearly the writers of, of that movie were Doctor Who fans. Just completely, blatantly ripping off this 1960s British sci-fi show. Uh-huh.
1: So as they're leaving to, to head back through the forest... She wonders why the Daleks would say that the Thals are horrible mutations, which prompts Aladdin to wonder... If they call us mutations,
2: what must they be like?
0: Hmm. Good point.
1: Indeed. Although I'm not sure if the Daleks actually know what the Thals look like. I think that's that's unclear. Okay. We cut back to the city, and... It's also a bit of a time jump because Susan has been returned to the cell with our other three heroes, and the Daleks have realized or have seen that Susan now has contact with the Thals Mm. and could potentially bring them into the city. Meanwhile, Susan dispenses some anti-radiation drugs first to her grandfather and then to Barbara and Ian. And she tells them that the Thals said that the drugs would act quickly. I think Barbara comments on, like, her arms are feeling tingly, and Susan's like, oh, yeah, he said, you know, that
0: just means that the drugs are working. So is this from her secret stash of, uh, of anti-radiation medicine? It or? is. Okay. Uh, yeah,
1: she... We learn at this point that she had given the Daleks the first stash, uh-huh. like was the plan, But she mentions how strange it is that when the Daleks found the second secret stash hidden on her, that they were going to take them, just like the first supply, but then...
2: then they suddenly seemed to change their mind and gave the second lot back to me.
1: Huh. So, I guess so much for hiding it. That was pretty ineffective. Yeah. But But the Daleks
0: are definitely up to something.
1: Yeah. Luckily for our heroes, at least... We don't know what the Daleks are up to, but... Ian comments that the Thals definitely seem more friendly than the Daleks,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which we've been talking (laughs) about already. Susan would like to find a way to help the Thals, who, I guess at this point, we've probably learned that the Thals are running out of food, basically. Their food supplies are dwindling. Can't eat metal lizards, right? Barbara says they can't even help themselves, but the Thals will starve if they don't find new sources of food. Fortunately, Daleks are delicious.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> they've managed to cultivate small plots of land ever since the war, but the crops have always been very fragile, and they've always relied on this rainfall that generally comes about once every five years. But now, it's about two years overdue, and their food crops are all dying. Dang. So they have left their plateau in search of food, and they figure that unless they can manage to come to some sort of treaty with the Daleks, the Thals will all die, basically. Yeah. So, you know, Susan relays all this info to, to our heroes, and the Daleks watch this whole discussion on monitors. And one of the Daleks says that they think that allowing the prisoners to survive was a good idea because they can be manipulated into bringing the Thals into the city. Oh, there's their diabolical scheme. Right. So the Daleks decide that they will give them food and allow them to sleep for now, To lull them into a false sense of security. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) So after they sleep, Adalik brings some food and water, but it takes Susan away with it out of the cell. It says that they are... Going to
2: help the Thals, which is what you
0: want us to do. And Susan goes with it. It doesn't sound suspicious at all. Right.
1: (laughs) We cut to the Thals, who are all kind of hanging around outside the TARDIS, back on the other side of the jungle. And they're talking about heading into the city and wondering what the Daleks will be like. One of the Thals says, They are Daleks.
2: And another one says, Yes, but we've changed over the centuries. Why shouldn't they? The once famous warrior race of Thals are now farmers.
1: Hmm. Now that we're seeing like this whole group of Thals, I took a moment to to pause and think about their costuming, which is pretty entertaining. The men are all wearing these vests that... Kind of look like life jackets, basically cool they're very thick and puffy, very futuristic right, uh, of course it's black and white, so I can't tell you if they're life vest if they're life jacket orange or not, <laughs> so we just have to assume that they are right uh, they're not wearing shirts under these life jacket <laughs> vests, just the vests, and <laughs> very sexy. they have these tight pants on that have these, like, geometrically shaped holes cut, like, all down the sides. Oh, they Oh, they are perfect. <laughs> and one of them is wearing this kind of weird upside-down-looking crown headband thing. Okay. The women are all wearing... I guess their their lowest layer is, like black bathing suit basically
0: okay
1: then on top of that black bathing suit they're wearing these very strangely angular cut strapless dresses with geometric shaped holes all down in the skirt the lower skirt area
0: over their bathing suits we may not have a budget but we've got some clothes and some scissors let's start (laughs) cutting geometric holes yep
1: Nothing more futuristic than geometric shaped <laughs> holes in your clothing. Yeah. I mean, the Star Trek Klingon women had their boob windows, so. <laughs> That's <is> true. <laughs> we also learned from the Thals at this point that not only did the Thals used to be warriors, but the Daleks used to be teachers and philosophers. Oh. The, the Thals see the Dalek city from a distance, and, and one of them says, From the distance,
2: the city looks as if they make science and invention their profession. <laughs> it's a magical architecture. Perhaps we can exchange ideas with them, learn from them.
0: I I'm really curious as to what about the city skyline made him think that they must have, you know, um science and architecture going on. There. Right. Like there's no possible way to
1: come up with the idea of like conical shaped buildings if you don't study science and invention, science and invention. as your profession. Yeah. I mean I'm sure that all the buildings are shaped like giant test tubes and beakers. <laughs> The conversation at this point turns to our heroes, and
0: Aladdin says that he has
2: only spoken with the young girl. But if the others are anything like her, I would trust them absolutely.
0: So now, not only is she a girl, now she's a young girl. Right? (laughs) She's (laughs) fifteen. Turns out the Thals aren't really feminists either. So much for being from the future, I guess. You can't tell from someone's geometric holes cut in their clothing. (laughs) First, they ask one of their female companions
1: what she has to say. And she says that she has no opinions on the matter. And they all comment and have a good chuckle about how unusual that is for her to not have any
0: opinions. I was just about to say, well, at least they asked this woman for her opinion, but no. (laughs) Mm-mm.
1: And then we get this little bit here. One of them says,
2: "Where is the girl now?"
1: And Aladdin says,
2: "I have given her the drugs, and she has
1: returned to the city." And the woman, Thal, says,
2: It would have been better if you'd given it to a man instead of a girl."
1: And Aladdin says,
2: "But I had no chance there are prisoners in the city.":
1: And then there's another bit that I was not quite sure what's being implied here. One of them, whose name we're going to learn, is Temesis. Temesis says,
2: "Tell me, Aladon,
1: how old is this young girl?" And Aladon says,
2: "No longer a child, not yet a woman." And Temesis says, "Ah, then perhaps it's safe for you to talk to her, if she's not yet a woman."
1: And they all kind of have this little chuckle. <laughs>
0: Okay. And I'm thinking, that's creepy. Isn't this supposed to be a kid's show? Yeah, that's creepy.
1: (laughs) But we finally get to the plan, which is brilliant.
2: Temesis says, Well, go on, what have you planned? And Aladdin says, The young girl will speak with the Daleks, and a message will come from the city, direct from the girl.
1: Asks Temesis. Yes. Says Aladdin. Temesis asks.
2: But how shall we know that it is not a trick?
1: And here's the genius part. Aladdin says,
2: Well, she told me her name, Susan. And that is how the message is to be signed. Otherwise, we shall know the Daleks are hostile to us.
1: So as long as the message they receive is signed Susan, we can guarantee that there's no trickery involved. (laughs) I can't possibly see any way for this to go
0: wrong. They tried. (laughs) It was the best plan they had. Hey everyone, this
1: is Kyle. Here on The Doctor's Watcher, we don't have any sponsors, at least not yet. And we haven't even set up a Patreon or anything. But we appreciate you listening. Maybe we'll get around to setting up a Patreon or whatever later, or maybe we'll try to sell you some mattresses or meal prep kits or whatnot. But in the meantime, Benny and I both have Venmos, If you really want to send us some money, let's start with you sending an email to thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com and we'll work something out. Thanks for listening! So we cut back to the Daleks who are now dictating a letter which Susan is writing as they dictate. They can offer food, water, and unlimited fresh vegetables from their supply grown by artificial sunlight. Yum. In return... They expect the Thals to help with the recultivation of the surrounding land. Seems like a pretty good deal. So Susan writes all this down. The Daleks need to examine the message that she's written before it gets delivered. So one of them comes over, and Susan picks up the message board that she's been writing on. It's not like a piece of paper. It's like like a hard, kind of like whiteboard, basically. And she... Just, like, sticks the message board onto the Dalek's toilet plunger. <laughs> like, suctions it to the end of the toilet plunger. <laughs> and it then turns and, like, holds the message board up to the other Dalek's eye stock camera. I love it. It was great. So the Dalek reads the message, and it asks her about the last word that she's written. And she laughs and says, oh, it's my name, Susan. And the Dalek is like... And you told the
2: Thals that you would write this name of the message.
1: And Susan says,
2: Yes. Look, there's no need to be frightened of them. They're very friendly people. All they want is food.
1: We cut back to the cell, where, I guess, Susan's back in the cell now. Ian whispers, All set, Doctor? And then, much louder, he starts talking about how They can't trust the Daleks. The Doctor takes the Daleks' side in this discussion, arguing that they seem very intelligent, and they just have a different way of looking at things. And he suggests that maybe we should cooperate with them.
0: I do like the Doctor's kind of... I don't know, lawful, neutral attitude yeah. toward intelligence, people, and science. Is it doesn't matter what you use your science for. It doesn't matter if someone's good or evil, as long as you're intelligent and doing science. Right, intelligence is much more important than morality. Also, I have to say, I'm a little surprised, because, th- okay, so Susan's p- plan with the Thals is that she'll sign it, Susan, if the Daleks are chill, basically, like, if they're okay. Right. But... They're not chill. They're like <laughs> and yet she signs her name anyway. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's because the Dalek decided to let her have her secret stash. Maybe that uh, kind of made her. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, no, these no, these Daleks are cool. <laughs> they stuck us in a room and they won't let us out. But maybe that's <laughs> just because they like us so much. <laughs> uh huh.
1: So this discussion between Ian and the Doctor quickly escalates into like a full blown argument. And Ian accuses the doctor of having been bribed by the Daleks. And pretty soon, Susan jumps onto Ian's back, apparently trying to wrestle him to the ground, telling him to stop fighting with her grandfather. Wow. But it soon becomes clear what this whole charade was for, as Susan uses this piggyback ride on Ian as an opportunity to knock the surveillance camera off the wall in their cell. Oh, okay. So the whole thing was a setup. Good plan. The Daleks, with their great intelligence, realized that breaking the camera was deliberate, but they don't really seem to care that much. <laughs> one of them is like, oh, we could just like move them to another room and fix the camera. And the other is like, uh eh, nah. And the first one is like,
2: Extermination! Yes! All right, here we go. <laughs>
1: Didn't say exterminate, unfortunately. It, Kyle, but let me have this. But extermination. <laughs> and the other Dalek is like, nah, they can't escape. They might still be useful. We shall
0: deal with the falls. But I want to exterminate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, our heroes, now that they have the surveillance camera knocked off and can, like, make a secret plan are starting to make a plan of how to deal with the Daleks, and they figure that we need to try to trick them. Susan is remembering the one with the cave people, because she suggests that we should all pretend to be dead. And then when the Daleks come to check on them, we should all just fucking run. But we don't have any skulls and torches. Right. And, of course, Barbara Innian. Remember what happened to Ian's legs earlier when he tried to run? Mm -hmm. So they shut this plan down. As they continue to discuss the Daleks in general, the doctor starts formulating a theory that the Daleks are powered by static electricity that comes through the floor
0: seems like a kind of a a jump in reasoning about okay
1: well he's he's realized that there's sort of an acrid smell when they move around okay like i guess ozone type smell and there's just like shag carpet everywhere <laughs> <laughs> and we know that they they don't seem capable of leaving the city uh-huh so he speculates
0: that they're powered by electricity through the floor. Oh, I always thought they couldn't leave the city because of the radiation, but maybe uh, maybe it's the static. Could be, yeah. So going on this theory, they, they
1: realized that this cloak, like the reflective hexagon cloak that they got from the Thals, might be capable of insulation, and they start to form a plan. Of course, we don't get to know the plan yet because we cut back to the forest where... A Thal has found a Magnodon. Cool. Which is what they call the cool lizard thing that we saw earlier. Cool. And it sounds like they're planning to use the Magnodon to recharge their flashlights, I think was the idea. And I thought that was a pretty fun little thing. Cute. And I wanted to take a moment when we cut back to the forest here to talk about the thal names. In the one with the cave people, we spent a lot of time talking about names yeah. and about how terrible some of the names in that one were yes. Horg and Zah and Her. But the Thals, being this, you know, ancient civilization, they've had a lot of time to work on naming technology <laughs> and they've come up with some pretty cool ones. Okay. We've already met Aladdin.. Yes. There is Ganatus. The woman is named Dione. The guy who seems to be the leader of the group is Temesis. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We also have Antidus, Christus, and Elion. I think those are all the ones that we know.
0: Cool. But yeah, I thought they were pretty good. Yeah, no, no, that's like actually pretty cool.
1: Yeah. So Temesis believes that the Daleks hold the key to the Thal's future survival. Uh oh! Some bad news for you. <laughs> Aladdin is a bit hesitant to accept this. Okay. And maybe, maybe listen to Aladdin on yeah. this, you guys. <laughs> they talk back and forth for a little bit, discussing the situation. And Temesis has a line that I thought was really interesting. That's some good wisdom that we could all learn from. I think he says,
2: "I've never struggled against the inevitable." It's a vain occupation, but I should always advise you to examine very closely what you think to be inevitable. It's surprising how often apparent defeat can be turned to victory.
0: Dang. Yeah. I like it. We're actually getting deep. Yeah.
1: So they've found the letter from the Daleks, which they read. The letter says that...
2: She says the Dalek people have no malice towards us, and they hope that they can work with us to build a new and safe world, free from the fear of war. They have the ability to produce food by means of synthetic sunlight. And they have left a quantity of it for us in the entrance hall of their main building. We are to collect it tomorrow. So there is a future for us.
0: I like like the phrase synthetic sunlight. Yeah. I think that sounds like a cool band. Yeah. I think that's actually better
1: than artificial sunlight, which is the phrase you used earlier. Yeah. The the alliteration just adds I know. a little bit to it. It's it's so good. This letter is signed Susan, so clearly it <laughs> must be true. There's
0: nothing going on here. Still not sure why Susan did that. And also why did the Dalek think that was so suspicious? Yeah, that was kinda of, kinda of weird. I think
1: Maybe they just needed to, like, get something in the script to tell us that she had
0: done it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But it still doesn't explain why she did it. Because she could have, you know, used any other key phrase somewhere else in the letter. Right. Or or left out a different type of key phrase. Like, she didn't say all the best, lots of love, before she wrote Susan. Right. So, so um... that means they must be
1: planning something. <laughs> Back in the cell, we see Susan and Ian standing right next to the door of the cell with their backs up against the wall as the door opens and a Dalek approaches. And it scans the room with its eye stock camera and tells them to back away from the door, which they do. And only once they've backed away from the door does it approach closer and enter the room and it gives them a tray of food. And then it backs out of the room and leaves, and the door is closed behind it. And our heroes realize that there's really no way to hide from it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It can see the whole room when it comes. Yeah, I mean, it's an empty room. Right. They flirt with the idea of throwing a coat or something over its camera, <laughs> but they can't figure out how to do it like without being seen in advance or whatever, without yeah. the Dalek realizing what's happening. But suddenly Barbara is struck with inspiration and she asks for Susan's shoes, which Susan gives to her, and she starts picking all the dirt off the soles of these shoes and putting it in their water bowl. Ian asks what she's up to and she reveals,
2: I'm making mud.
1: That I hope Susan's shoes are very dirty then. They, they did seem like she was pulling pretty big chunks of dirt off of it. I was okay. kind of Just impressed like big by how gross they got. Clumps of dirt. Uh-huh. Dirt clods stuck to her shoes. We cut to some time later when our heroes have plotted the Dalek's schedule. They know it's about to return, and they're getting prepared for its return. I think they say it's got about three minutes, but... It actually comes much quicker than that. We'll just let that slide, because TV time... Yes. Yeah. Barbara says that her mud is...
2: Very sticky and very nasty.
1: And Susan spreads the foul cloak on the floor, not too near the door. As the Dalek enters the room, Ian quickly slides a piece of the broken camera under the door. Hmm. And when the Dalek leaves, this prevents the door from fully closing, so the door reopens, and an alarm starts sounding, and the Dalek comes back and At this point, Barbara pastes her wad of mud onto its eye stock camera, and Ian and the doctor both grab the Dalek from you know kind of from behind her from the side, being very careful to grab onto and control its flailing gun arm yeah. And after a bit of a brief struggle, they're able to force it onto the cloak that's laid out on the floor, at which point it stops moving. Mm. And they let go of its gun arm, and it, nothing happens, and they realize they're right. It has no power. It, it's turned off now, basically. So Ian finds a catch, and he pops the top of it open. It's kind of a lid that that opens up and he takes a quick glimpse inside, quickly looking away in horror and closing the lid. Oh dear. He tells Susan and Barbara to go and wait in the corridor and keep watch. And then he gets the doctor to help him. And between the two of them, they open the Dalek lid again and look inside. And then they both look up and look to each other for a moment the horrified look on their face and then they they get the cloak off the ground out from under the the Dalek, and they use the cloak to reach inside and pull out something horrible that we don't get to see at all this <laughs> is just wrapped in because the cloak. it's all wrapped up in the cloak nice. and they dump it in the corner of the room i'm really enjoying this budget-saving technology of not
0: showing us the cool shit, <laughs> yes. just showing us, like, reaction shots. Well, because it, then you can use your imagination. Right. And you could probably come up with something way creepier than, A, they have the budget for, but then also, B, what they can get away with in this BBC kids' show. Right, that's true. So they dump this this thing wrapped up
1: in a cloak into the corner of the room. Is it, like, struggling or anything, or is the actor
0: trying to make it look like it's struggling? Uh, No, it's
1: just just a a wad. Yeah, there's no movement at this point. But Ian, get this, climbs into the now-empty Dalek shell. (laughs) Barbara and Susan come back into the room, and they all close the lid of the Dalek, and they ask Ian how it is, and he says... It's very cramped indeed. <laughs> and they all laugh. <laughs> The doctor complains about his voice and asks asks if he can't speak more like a Dalek in more of a monotone, suggests
0: Barbara. And Ian does. Do
2: you mean that, <laughs> you that mean? That's it?
0: Cool. And I'm glad that it was Barbara's plan that yeah. like, you know, helped them get out. That was well done. I yeah. Think. Yeah, like the mud
1: save the day uh speaking of the mud ian can't see anything yeah we forgot to wipe that off so so they they do wipe the mud off the lens and then he's like oh yeah there's a monitor in here i can see now and he says that it's full of controls and he can't make it move and the doctor's like oh no worries we'll just push you Barbara's like, "Oh, like, surely they'll know we're pushing him." Yeah." And the doctor's like,
2: They won't be suspicious at all.:
1: We don't get any reason why not? Just nah, it'll be fine. Don't worry." So the plan is for Susan and Barbara to go in front of Dalek Ian, mm-hmm. as if he's taking them for questioning, mm-hmm. and the doctor' is behind pushing.
0: I feel like any plan that involves the phrase, no, 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 it won't be suspicious at all, <laughs> probably could use a little more thought.
1: Yeah. I think that's not necessarily their strong suit here, though. <laughs> <laughs> so they start down the hall in this arrangement with Barbara and Susan in front,
0: and then the doctor pushing Dalek Ian. And so how obvious is it that he's pushing it? Like, is he just sort of nudging it with his foot? It's pretty obvious. He's, like, (laughs) leaning into it.
1: But the camera cuts back to the cloak Mm. down on the floor of the cell in the corner Mm -hmm. where this weird claw hand thingy kind of comes out from under the edge of the cloak as we see the title. Next episode, The Ambush.
0: oh, shoot, who's going to be ambushed and who will be doing the ambushing? Indeed. Also, it's interesting that it has this clawed hand because I don't really remember, I, I mean, I vaguely remember the Daleks from the the New Who, and I just remember them as just kind of being this squishy kind of basically bubblegum-looking creatures. Yeah, I don't yeah. really remember if they had
1: appendages or not at yeah, that point, really. just like pseudopod- but things extrusions. I guess if the inside of the Dalek shell is filled with controls, uh-huh. they must have some way to manipulate them. Yeah. Whether that's appendages or if they're an amorphous blob, like maybe they can just kind of blob themselves out. Yeah. And blob around the lever and move yes. the joystick around. Kyla's acting this out for those of you. <laughs> I mean, maybe they're related to the changelings in, in Deep Space Nine. Yes. But in- very, very like rudimentary Ray. changelings.
0: Instead of a bucket, they just have a Dalek shell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, um, yeah, the one that we see in the the new Doctor Who, um, at the end of the Dalek episode with Christopher Eccleston and um Billy Piper, that one is the one that's part human because it was made out of like, partly out of Rose when she right. touched it. So maybe it looks a little different than other Yeah, that's, that's possible. Cool, this is a good one. Another, yeah. Another good one. Yeah, this was exciting. I quite
1: enjoyed it. Well, let's find out what happens next time on Episode 8, The Ambush. Let's just get right into it.
0: All right, we'll talk to you soon, listeners. Yeah, and we haven't like completely finalized our um, schedule yet, so maybe I'm I'm gonna find out what happens right now. But maybe <laughs> those of you at home will have to wait for I don't know a couple weeks or something. So. Yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> the original watchers of the show back in 1963,
1: I guess maybe we're into 64 at this point. I'm not entirely sure, but it started near the end of November, so probably. In any case, the original viewers only had to wait a week Uh. between episodes. You listeners might have to wait longer. We'll see what our release schedule is. Yes. If we leave this at all. (laughs) Bye. 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 Hey, Kyle here. I want to say thanks to Circuit23 for the awesome theme song hero for us. You can check out his other music at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23, that's circuit.23 at gmail.com. Thanks to Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who. And thanks to all of you for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. You can follow us on Twitter at Dr. Watcher. And you can email us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com. If you liked the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. If your rating is not five stars, save yourself the time and don't even bother. Join us again in two weeks on The Doctor's Watcher.
2: You're ready.